Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the January edition of Signal from Christians in Media, the first episode of the new year and we are, well, somewhat back in the studio together or in two remote studios. I'm down the line, uh, James Poulter here, your host, with Sam Hales and Ruth Jackson over at the Premier Christian Radio Studios in Victoria. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. It's like we're all in one room, but kind of not and I miss the fact that we're not all together. And so that's probably why this, this episode may be a little bit more ramshackle than usual, but we will press on because the new year has started and there are many things happening so it is good for us to be together and talk about these things first of all let's check in with both of you ruth how has your new year and start of the year been what have you been up to uh that's a good question i went to the gym yesterday which is basically the first exercise i've done since i climbed mount kilimanjaro last year and it was painful (laughs) good all right so the new year's resolutions are working out well for you and sam what about yourself how's the new year treating you as we enter into nearly the end of january well, my resolutions are going brilliantly because I never set any. So um, it's onwards and upwards, basically. Fabulous. Well, I'm glad that we're all uh, on the same page. Today in the show, we are going to be talking about the year ahead, 2019. We are at the precipice of all sorts of interesting change in our world, whether that is the ongoing saga that is the B word. Yes, we're going to talk a little bit about Brexit today, or whether that is the new trends that we're seeing out in the media marketplace. Uh, we're going to be recapping some of the latest event that we had in London last week, uh, looking at the trends for 2019, where I chaired a panel for the Christians in Media team, and a number of the guys were there to recap that event. So we're going to be getting into that in a moment. And then we're also going to be looking forward to some recommendations for the year and what you should be uh, thinking about and reading as we go through with uh, a couple of book recommendations that I've got for you if you are starting off the new year. So that is what we've got coming up in the show. Uh, Ruth, you were with us at the event uh, last week. We had the, the kickoff event of the year, looking at the the year ahead and Christians in Media panel. Uh, we had Warren Nettleford, um, who is the uh, channel, what well, ex Channel Four journalist, and now uh, founded his own production company, Right Thing Films. Uh, Dr. Sarah or Sarah Schumacher um, from the St. Melitis College, and she's the director of education and uh, lecturer in theology there. Amaris Cole from the uh, 
uh, Church of England digital media team who uh, has been on the show before with her team uh, Adrian as well and uh, Christopher Landau as well made an appearance after kind of resurfacing into the the journalist world um, ex-BBC uh, journalist uh, who looked after religious affairs and he is now a uh, postgraduate pastor um, at one of the biggest city uh, churches here in London at St Aldgate so that was who was on the panel and Ruth you were in the audience taking copious notes um, I'm sure uh, first of all just in general what did you make of kind of the the team's predictions and maybe recap a few of the things for us that they shared as the as the year ahead I thought it was really interesting because they all came from quite different angles so Warren's obviously a news journalist so he came with a very newsy perspective having seen a lot of the stuff play out so he talked particularly about things like Brexit and all of the things that were sort of slightly confused and terrified about Amaris obviously talked more from a digital perspective given the stuff that she's doing with the digital team at the Church of England um, Sarah gave a really interesting sort of theological insight onto into lots of things and talked a lot about detox and how we need to get the balance right between offline and online and I think Christopher gave a really interesting insight as a sort of former broadcaster but you can still tell that he's obviously got the mind of a broadcaster but clearly a pastor's heart as well so it was just it was really interesting um, to have all of them sort of giving their particular insights into different issues. Well, one of the main things that I asked each of them to start the panel off with was their different predictions for the year and where they saw the year kind of going. Um, Warren started us off with being a little bit more hopeful. What did you take away from what Warren shared? Um, and Warren is the uh, production company owner from Right Thing Films and X Channel Four, uh, Channel 5 and ITN News, actually. A very esteemed uh, member. What did you take away from Warren uh, during the event? I thought they were all pretty hopeful in terms of you know, they were all very explicitly Christian in what they were saying and saying that, you know, no matter what's going on in the world, we've got a, an amazing Christian hope because we've got something that's so much bigger than all the kind of mess of what's going on in our country and in the world as a whole. And one of the things that Warren said that I thought was really interesting when he was he was talking about Brexit and he said that the known unknown is that we'll have confusion, but we're not sure what that confusion will lead to, which I thought was is quite like a clever sort of play on words. Um, but just that sense of I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen with Brexit. The only thing we can be absolutely assured, assured of is that there's going to be a huge amount of confusion. Um, but he didn't He didn't sort of say it in a negative way. I think he was quite hopeful in that. And just in the sense that actually as broadcasters, no matter what is going on, we have a right to tell those stories, to be truthful to what we're saying. But he talked a lot about telling relatable stories as well, which I thought was really good. And actually something that regardless of where you are in the media, that's such an important thing, you know, whether you're in magazines, whether you're in news, whether you're in broadcasting, you do what you, the bulk of what you do is tell stories and to tell them in a relatable way. And I think that plays into so much of what we've got as a sort of as Christians working in the media. We we come from a, a meta narrative of what the biblical story is and how do we fit the stories of the day to day life into that meta narrative of the Bible. He kind of echoed some of um, what J. John wrote for you guys at uh, Christianity Mag um, uh, this past week, uh, Sam, about this idea of the new normality kind of being abnormality now. Uh, in, the, in an article for uh, Premier Christianity, uh, J. John, I'm just quoting him here, uh, he said, the, the world is in uh, real frequent surrealism, that the new normality is abnormality, and where optimism could be declared as an endangered species, which I thought was a, a little bit concerning, but it kind of echoed some of what uh, 
um, Warren was sharing at the panel. Do you, do you see the kind of same thing from other commentators at the moment, Sam, that the, even the Christian world is becoming slightly uh, negative in terms of the outlook around things like Brexit and, and the, a lot of the opinions that are being shared right now? Yeah, I think the uh, the dominant narrative is definitely one of despair and doom, especially around Brexit. And um, I, th- I think we are in danger of actually going, going too far with some of that line of thinking. I think especially as Christians, you know, I'm reading more and more commentators say really helpful things about, look, yes, politics is important, but politics is not everything. The world will continue. We will all get on with our lives. And OK, yes, there might be upheaval in the short term, medium term, even long term. But ultimately, look, our hope was never in these things in the first place. And um, and I do think that there is a bit of a danger, especially in media circles, where in order to sort of sound a bit intelligent, every commentator starts to repeat the other commentator that they respect. And before you know it, you get trapped in this vicious cycle and circle of just doom and gloom and everything getting worse and worse and worse. And um, I don't think that's helpful, especially from a Christian point of view, but partly because I just don't think it's true. I actually think that some of the concerns are in danger of being greatly exaggerated at this moment in time. Ruth, you, you spend a lot of time talking to kids and youth in this area. Are they concerned about Brexit right now or do they feel more uncertain than ever before? I think it's really interesting. We had a culture column in our magazine a couple of months ago about effectively the fact that most of the leavers were slightly older, the older generation and most of the remainers. This isn't true across the board, but you know, a lot of the Remainers were younger and a lot of the young people who were sort of 16, 17, 18 when the votes were being cast who couldn't vote, sorry, not 18, 16, 17 um, when the votes were being cast would have voted Remain but didn't have the opportunity because they, they weren't old enough to vote. And so in some senses, young people have been left with a vote that was voted by an older population who aren't going to have to, in some cases, deal with the consequences of what has happened. And so I think there is a real frustration with authority with the older generation and I think I don't want to um, emphasise the kind of negative uh, narrative that Sam was talking about I don't want to be one of those people who's playing into that negative um narrative but I do think there is a sense in which actually I think there is a little bit of brokenness between the younger and the older generation where the younger generation slightly begrudge the older generation and I, and I think you know on on it's not unfounded the the anger and the and the sort of confusion and the fear of the young people feeling this towards the older generation. I think a lot of the time they just feel like they've not been listened to um, because in some ways they weren't consulted before other people made a decision that's going to affect the rest of their lives yeah, and I think we're seeing that a lot at the moment with different you know perspectives coming from both you know kind of children themselves and then also when they're looking out to the the wider world, those people that are you know kind of supposed to be looking out for their future, they may be thinking, well, have you got my future in mind or have you got just what's going on in, in the short term? And and a lot of that can be quite short termist um, in terms of the way in which that they're thinking. Sam, as you're looking more kind of broadly around this and particularly just the political kind of chaos of the past couple of weeks, um, where do you see maybe some of that more hopeful voices coming through particularly uh, you know if we look to the house of commons uh, you know kind of christian mps have been speaking out there's been several of them that have made comments uh, recently including caroline spellman um, you know kind of the, the important thing being to you know kind of be able to get people to vote in the right way um, and some you know may want a second referendum some might not want brexit at all you know but we have to kind of stand up for what we believe is right where, where do you see some hopeful voices in this space it's a really good question i'm not sure if i have a have a 
a decent enough answer to it, but I, it does strike me that the church's ministry is one of reconciliation and of bringing people together. And the Bible has a lot to say about breaking down barriers of hostility between different groups. And in that sense, I think there is a very real job for the church to do in um, hopefully modelling to the rest of society, look, in this congregation, in this little community we have in our local area, there are Brexiteers, there are Remainers, you know, there are Conservatives, there's Labour, there's Black, there's White, there's Young, there's Old, and we all unite around Christ. And um, and actually that holds us together more than politics. And I think as we've seen, politics almost become... I, as I said before, it's almost become too important, I think, in the minds of many. I think the church can say there's something bigger that matters more than what our current government is doing. There's something bigger and more important than that. And that's what we unite around as a church. And it's interesting to me that there has been increased movements, I think, for prayer, particularly in this country. Um, a lot of people, were, however they voted, seem to be using language of this country is in a mess, this country is broken, we need to turn back to God. And so I've seen some very large-scale prayer meetings um, happen, happen recently in London. Um, I think even today there's, there's one happening uh, very much centred around praying for our nation as a whole, which is interesting because I, I think a lot of the time in, in the church, certainly the evangelical church, we, we can be quite individualistic and say, you know, you personally need to accept Jesus or you personally need to uh, encounter God's salvation. But it's interesting at times of political crisis, we start to use broader language, don't we? We start to talk about our nation and our nation needs to turn back to God and we start to think in more kind of collective terms. Um, and I think that's, that's positive. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know exactly how how are you supposed to lead a prayer meeting where um, there are Brexiteers and there are Remainers with very strong feelings in the same room? How do you lead everyone to pray with some kind of unity? I don't think that's an easy thing to do, but I am um, pleased, I am encouraged to see that people are trying to do that. As Christian's saying, there's something bigger that unites us. Ultimately, we all want the best for our country. Yes, we disagree on how we get there, but we want our nation ultimately to turn back, turn back to God, frankly. And I think that being the focus of these prayer meetings, I, th I think that's a good thing. I also think there's a message of hope when it comes to young people so yes they're frustrated um, but actually then that they're, they're not resting on their laurels with that we're seeing young people actually engage more politically than we ever have before so there was a Swedish teenager called Greta Thunberg who is a big climate change activist and actually she has done a remarkable thing as a young girl speaking in in um, in the European Parliament about climate change and things like that and I think we are seeing young people like her rise up and say yes our politics isn't perfect our governments aren't perfect but this is the way to exact change and we're going to do it and yes we're young and yes we we're not old enough to vote but we are old enough to get our voices out there and I so I think there is a real hope in that actually for all its frustration I think young people are beginning to get a voice and realize that actually they can make a difference they can make a change and I think um, in in some ways if if we were if we were to have the Brexit vote all over again I think it might look quite different because I think young people would be much more engaged and so speaking about that because one of the ways that a lot of these young people are getting engaged is through the kind of digital side of things and through uh, clicktivism or activism online particularly when it comes to the use of things like Twitter and Instagram and that was one of the things that uh, Amaris Cole from the digital team at the Church of England touched upon. Uh, Ruth, why don't you just share with us a little bit of kind of what Amaris's points were and her predictions for the year? I really like the fact that she said that their digital team at the Church of England is all about mission, that they can reach a certain number of people in their churches, but that obviously is um, under the premise that people are coming into the churches. And I think we're beginning to see a real change, not just with the Church of England, but with Christians as a whole, not just in our country, but worldwide, of acknowledging that actually it's not a case of them coming to us. We are in a situation, whether good or 
or bad that is almost sort of post-Christendom where there's no understanding of who God is. There's, in some ways, that's good because you don't have the baggage that perhaps previous generations had before. But there's a total... there's almost like no knowledge at all of God and so actually what we need to do is go out and reach those and she was talking about the fact that with digital media with the rise of social media and all of that we have access to so many more people than we would have done just with our church buildings I think that's really important because at the moment I was with the um, the team from Life Dot Church it's Craig Rochelle's team in the US uh, just before the Christmas break and one of the things that we were discussing a lot was through things like their church online platform form and how they're being able to connect people but one of the main things that they always were saying was that you know we connect people online but then try and drive people into real world engagement and it does seem from a couple of things that the panelists said at the event that young people uh, and you know kind of new christians of all ages are still looking for that in-person connection and maybe it's all this uncertainty that's going on in the world right now that's driving one uh, to maybe think oh well this is great but i actually really want to kind of sit down with people in a real room uh, and not just entirely connected online do you think that that's something we're seeing a lot particularly when it came to kind of youth culture around that as well well it's interesting that was one of the things that dr sarah schumacher from st Melitus was talking about she talked about the importance of community and i think she's exactly right the one thing i would say on that is that i think sometimes we focus too much on the division between online and offline and i think you can if it's done well have genuine community online so someone like dr bex lewis would say that you really can have community online particularly if you are bed bound and you can't get out actually the online community is is a real lifeline for some people those who are struggling with mental health conditions who like physically can't get outside because it's too terrifying actually um, an online community can be a real lifesaver it's a bit of a double-edged sword that one though isn't it because you know mentioning mental health i'm aware as well and uh, everyone will be of the kind of trolling and of how online it seems like people are willing to say really cruel things to another person you'd never dare say when you're face-to-face in community and yet when we're behind our keyboards we can some of us say some really nasty stuff so it's interesting isn't it that yes it can help those who are bedbound who can't get out but actually on the flip side um the kind of bullying we've seen is almost worse online than it can be in the real world you know when we were growing up sam if someone bullied you in the playground you'd go home and you'd be to a certain extent safe you know it would happen all again the next day potentially but our young people can't get away from it now so that's why we need to be really careful in how we show our young people how to use technology i think we need to model technology well you know we can't be encouraging them to be on their phones last thing at night and have their phone by their bed because for there was some research actually done about sleep and obviously sleep is is a really important thing particularly for teenagers but even if uh, a teenager's mobile phone is switched off they're still they still have really disturbed sleep because they're preconditioned to want a response from that phone so even though it's off and they know they won't have a response from that phone they're preconditioned to want it and therefore they're not sleeping as well so there are all of those concerns but i do think we need to um not get so het up with the online with the, with the dangers of online which we do absolutely need to be aware of that we forget some of the goods of um online having said that one of the things that was talked about a lot on the panel was authenticity and i do think we need to be more authentic online that's for sure but i also think that actually sometimes true authenticity can only really be modeled in a close face-to-face relationship yeah. one of the aspects Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Facts that uh, the the panels, uh, many of them shared, uh, but, but particularly was brought to life by uh, Sarah Schumacher from Simplitis, was this idea around kind of minimalism and digital minimalism as well being quite a theme that she predicted for 2019, almost as a response to a lot of this online clutter. You know, many of us uh, cope with the, the kind of deluge of inbox emails, Slack messages, you know, WhatsApps and texts coming in all day long, and that there might be a reaction to this that in our physical environment we're looking for that more minimalist lifestyle and that certainly seemed to be something that resonated with her she particularly uh, drew upon the example of Marie Kondo's uh, tidying up program that aired um, that started on uh, January 1st uh, on Netflix which has you know kind of risen to worldwide popularity and it kind of channeled for me I I don't have you guys watched uh, any of Marie Kondo's program since the start of the year I have not watched her have you watched her Ruth I haven't watched her but I've heard lots of people talk about we're actually running a culture column on her and what she says in the uh, next edition of Premier Christianity magazine. That is a shameless plug, uh, but it is very much on my radar. I think it's fascinating, James, isn't it, that the book has actually been out for, I think, years. And yeah, about five years now. Yeah. I read it a number of years ago. And um, it, she's only just, well, I mean, obviously people have been talking about her for that for that whole time, but, but her level of fame has dramatically, really, you know, skyrocketed directly as a result of that Netflix documentary, which says a lot, I think, about the power of Netflix. You can have a book out for a long time, people reading it, but it just doesn't get the kind of traction until Netflix pick you up, and now suddenly we're all talking about this lady. Yeah, and she really interesting character. There was a great article I came across the other day about called Six Surprising Things um, about Marie Kondo and her life-changing method that you might not know about. And um, one of the, the kind of aspects of this was that the the way that, well, like you say, that it's been around for a long time um, and that from her personal life that she's been doing this since that she was very young in terms of her idea about you know trying to tidy uh, around this idea of joy, and which I thought was particularly interesting from our perspective as kind of a Christian or 
organization thinking about whether or not joy is something that we have somewhat lost a little bit of recently um, and that she was asking you know kind of she asked people in her program and in her book to um, take all of their items in their house one by one and think about whether or not it sparks joy for you before deciding to keep it uh, or throw it away which is quite a fascinating uh, concept have you guys been thinking about what sparks joy for you recently in your houses well here's the thing like I don't want to trivialize what she's doing because I think it is a good thing for a start I think it potentially idolizes minimalism which is ironic because by getting rid of stuff you're probably getting rid of idols but anyway um but I'm, i've been thinking about this and i've been thinking what are the things that spark joy in my house and this is just sort of an off the cuff thing but i just think if i was if i was being really honest the things that spark joy in my house are like my fancy dress box my highest pair of high heels and like a big file of pile of junk food and i just think actually that's not a good way to live a life that's like a they're really unhelpful things and yes they spark joy but does that necessarily mean that i'm gonna live a good life and on the flip side i've just been thinking well my bin doesn't particularly spark joy so (laughs) let's (laughs) throw the bin away let's throw away i don't know the oven and uh, before you know it i um will be living in squalor because you know i've just got rubbish everywhere you can come and do fancy dress at my house sam (laughs) i I think we're probably in danger of trivializing what might may well be a very very helpful thing but i guess I, I think it's good. I think it's good. And I think there are all sorts of reasons why we should do it. But I, I also worry that actually, in some ways, it's a bit of a veneer for the deeper problems. Uh, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, I sort of joked about the fact that we're maybe idealising uh, idealizing minimalism. And I think there is something in that, in that actually, uh, you know, not to, not to um, push the whole sort of broken narrative again, but I do think actually as people we are broken and some of the people so I've heard various people talk about the the people on on her show and some of those people you can tell are really deeply broken and actually what they need is a counsellor they don't need someone to sort out their house I mean maybe they do but it's a it's a much deeper issue than that and my worry is that when we get obsessed with things like Marie Kondo and storage boxes and all of that we're actually just putting a veneer over what is a much deeper rooted problem and we need to get to the root of those problems rather than just sort of covering it over and saying that hiding is going to sort out everything yeah james you you raised um marie kondo in in relation to to young people and technology and almost throwing out some of this tech i'd love to throw this one back to you because um it's really interesting to hear this point come up again that could we see young people actually move away from some of these platforms so so i think they have already moved away from uh from facebook because that's for old people now but i can remember i can remember two or three years ago people making this prediction i remember a long time ago people saying what we're going to see is young people actually move away from social media and screens entirely they're going to go build campfires out the back and sing songs around the campfire and do proper community because they're not really getting their community fixed from the online world i can remember this prediction being made some years ago so so what do you think because you know you've you've forgotten more about tech than i'll ever know is this a is this a genuine trend that is still yet to be fully realized well i think the, the minimalism thing as a macro actually is something that we are have seen brewing for a couple of years prim- primarily uh, started by the likes of yes marie kondo but also um the the minimalists um, themselves, the, the guys that created the Netflix documentary Minimalism and the podcast The Minimalists, which I think we've discussed previously on the show. But I think what we're now seeing is that that is being coupled as um, almost a lifestyle choice, and, and as as Ruth was mentioning, a lifestyle choice that can somewhat sometimes become um, idolic in its own right. So, you know, this kind of desire to just try and get rid of everything, which is interesting because obviously you know comparable to some of what Jesus teaches around the idea of you know, kind of give up everything and come and follow me 
you know, he doesn't physically ask us to do that here in, in the now, but he did ask the disciples to do it. So there is an interesting kind of parallel there. But what we see is that overall is that the minimalism trend is beginning to spark into everything and, and particularly into digital worlds as well. There's a new book coming out in a couple of weeks time, which I thoroughly recommend getting everybody onto um, in the anticipation of it coming out on February the 7th, which is a book called Digital Minimalism. Uh, it's by a chap called Cal Newport, who is a uh, doctorate um, or a science professor in um, the US at Georgetown University is a, a computer science uh, professor and has written a number of books that have um, resonated quite widely, including his most recent work, Deep Work, which um, really hit a chord with many people in professional circles around kind of distraction. And he's extrapolated that into this new piece called Digital Minimalism, um, this idea about living better with less technology. Um, the book comes out, like I say, on the 7th of February, but he's been doing the podcast rounds and speaking to many people, including a friend of mine, Bruce Daisley, and on his podcast, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, which uh, recommend everyone go and listen to that interview. And he draws upon um, a number of traditions, including also thinking about things like the Amish people um, in the US, which is a, an interesting, maybe slightly disturbing comparison given some of the practices of the Amish, um, but points out that there are many people searching for these kind of more radical uh, departures from kind of modern uh, life and people wanting to kind of get rid of their stuff, get rid of their clutter, and particularly go after uh, minimalism in their digital lifestyles as well, which is what the book focuses on. And I thought what was quite interesting was this uh, this concept he has in the book, um, and it's also brought up in Deep Work as well, which um, if, if not had a chance to read that, go and pick up a copy again, very much recommended. It's this idea of monk mornings and being able to kind of get away from stuff for fixed periods of time. So he goes through things like recommendations like taking a digital Sabbath, you know, for example, or taking a 30 day kind of detox from different um, apps, which I'm sure many people at the start of the year uh, here in January might be thinking about, you know, I'm taking resolutions up, like getting rid of Facebook or getting rid of Instagram from their phones. And I don't think that's something that's exclusive to young people. In fact, for many of us, it's uh, a bigger problem for our parents generation uh, you know, for those of us who've got parents who are maybe baby boomers or early uh, you know, kind of late gen Xers, um that they are equally addicted to these things it's not just something that is a, a young person problem i don't know if this resonates with you guys but i i certainly know that and um, he, he'll be happy to hear me uh, talk about this my dad has just as much addiction to his phones plural um and laptops as as anybody else i know that is our age so i think that that is a, a common problem across the generations i don't know if you guys agree one of the things i really liked um about what sarah schumacher said again um, at the Christians and Media event was that she thinks that FOMO has been replaced by JOMO, the joy of missing out. And actually <laughs> she particularly talked about the fact that the younger generation might be doing this. It, you know, a younger generation who they've grown up as digital natives where they're effectively surgically attached to some sort of tablet. And actually as a... And, and they've also had no choice in that matter. One, they've grown up with technology all around them and they are... Um, someone else on the panel touched on the fact that they have grown up always being through no fault of their own you know their pictures as babies were uploaded onto social media sites and all of that and so maybe there will be a backlash away from that i saw in the paper yesterday actually rihanna has got like a razor flip phone so she's obviously and i think we're seeing that with quite a lot of celebrities they sort of gone they've backlashed so far against the um digital thing that they're actually getting phones that just work as phones uh, I do wonder how much that was just purely for uh, getting a headline on Instagram or whether or not she's actually carrying around a dumb phone. Oh, I, you I old don't cynic, know if that's James. The case. You old cynic. 
<laughs> I, I've become accustomed to these things. So we've heard um, from a lot of the, the perspectives there on the panel. The last uh, panel member, which I think is worth uh, bringing up, is what uh, Christopher Landau uh, shared. For those of you who don't know Christopher, he was the religious affairs editor and correspondent at the BBC for a number of years. He left the Beeb in 2010 to go and train for ordination, um, as well as completing an Oxford doctorate around theology of disagreement, which was a really interesting uh, aspect that came up a number of times, particularly, again, around topics like Brexit, but also things like climate change on the panel. Uh, Ruth, what did you take away from what Christopher shared? I just thought he was absolutely wonderful. Um, I told Sam <laughs> off air that I'm, I'm going to make him my best friend. Um, <laughs> Ruth, you have about 250,000 best friends, don't you? Yeah, I just Which like Sam making everyone my best friend. So if anyone's listening and wants to become my best friend, you, you know my email. Um, I, I loved everything that he said but one of the things that he said that I think is is really shocking and actually should give us a bit of a kick up the arse is that polarisation is something that we're getting used to and that's not okay you know we shouldn't be polarised particularly as Christians exactly what Sam was saying we should we should be unified and one of the other things that he said which again I think is really challenging is that our commitment to the truth should trump any political grounding and so he talked a lot about kind of that disconnect between the gospel and what we're seeing not just in politics but kind of in our society as a whole and actually as Christians our job is to kind of get back to that commitment of the truth even if that's incredibly countercultural. Um, so I thought he just was I actually think he's he's got an incredibly prophetic voice um, Christopher and I just think we need to be bolder like him he I just think he speaks really really kindly he, you know he's very softly spoken but like he's got a real sort of yeah prophet, prophetic voice I think he's also been let somewhat off the leash of having to stick to his BBC unbiased opinion uh, which I think also helped a little bit along the way but I think what he shared particularly around this idea of you know kind of not trying to be divisive but not always having to agree with everybody you know, which it's okay for us to disagree if, if done well I think was something that will resonate with with many particularly um, around the ongoing kind of political frustrations that we see not only here in the UK but also in the US. Um, I was in the States uh, two weeks ago in Tennessee the heart of the Bible Belt um, for the election Alexa conference, which is the, the conference of developers looking at the smart speaker platforms and just hearing some of the you know, kind of rhetoric coming from uh, folks over there when it comes to the government shutdown in the US and looking at things like Brexit is like, we can't all uh, try and just kind of put this away nicely and be Christian about it. We actually have to have an opinion, which I think was uh, a really interesting challenge to kind of hear that echoed across the pond as well. Sam, you're always good for an opinion. How, how do you feel about us becoming more opinionated over time? Do you think that that's something that we're okay with handling as Christians. Oh, James, I just knew you were going to segue like that. As soon as as soon as you said something about strong opinions, I was like, he's gonna he's gonna throw it over to me and say something about me having strong opinions. So um, yes, guilt, <laughs> guilty as charged. I, I came across a fascinating article that Tim Keller, the pastor in New York City, um, of all people, retweeted. It was an opinion piece in the New York Times, and it was entitled "Never Tweet," and it was really directed at journalists. And I highly recommend checking it out actually. And it was really the case for not not from completely stepping away from Twitter but even as journalists for limiting our access and our time spent on there which I think is particularly kind of countercultural for those of us who work in the media because you know as we all know I, do, I find stories on Twitter often days before they turn up in the national newspapers I find Christian stories on Twitter that I haven't had an email about or press release about so it really is a fantastic resource for journalists and so the argument for why journalists should be stepping away from Twitter is a really interesting one um, to read so it's called Never Tweet and um, and check it out in the New York Times but, but to 
speak to that that kind of point. I guess I bring it up because Twitter is is kind of the go-to place in my world, at least, for for strong opinions, isn't it? It's just everyone has seems to have a very very strong view on something, and what tends to happen is the stronger you impress, the stronger you put across that point of view. It seems to me the more likely you are to get retweets and to get people talking to you. And so what tends to happen is the kind of extreme ends of the debate seem to get most prominence on Twitter because they're so strongly worded and people all pile in. And yeah, I do kind of worry what that does to us personally, what that's doing to our general ability to disagree well and all the rest of it. And I think it can be quite a toxic place. And I don't know about you, but I've just been seeing more and more articles along those lines from from people. Maybe it's a January thing, like you say, the whole detoxing thing. But I'm just seeing more and more people sort of saying, do we need to step away from this platform? This doesn't this isn't doing my mental health any good, frankly. Um, so I think more and more people are thinking like that. Well, if you've got an opinion on that, you share an equally opinionated uh, stance like Sam or anywhere else, then we'd love to hear your opinions uh, on the show. You can do that by emailing signal at christiansinmedia.co.uk. That's signal at christiansinmedia.co.uk. Or you can tweet us, CI underscore Media UK on Twitter. Uh, or you can join the Christians in Journalism Facebook group as well over on Facebook and you can get involved. You can also uh, come and share your opinion in person. If you weren't able to make the event uh, at the start of the year in London maybe you aren't in the London area then we've got something for you if you are in the Leeds or Bradford area we've got the Christians in Media Leeds Bradford meetup happening on Thursday the 28th of February that is from 6.30 in the evening and that is going to be at the hub at Christians Against Poverty so that's that cap in Bradford Um, and you'll be able to come along meet some other people Uh, you can get some fish and chips some coffee uh, maybe play a game of pool and you can hear from our guest speaker Paula Stringer from CAP who is the new executive director there at Christians Against Poverty um, and was recently head of production for BBC Sport. So if that's for you then or you can get yourself to the Leeds Bradford area um, around about the February 28th, you can do that. All of the information for the event is up on christiansinmedia.co.uk or you can find it over on Eventbrite. So please do go sign up there. Okay, well that brings us towards pretty much the end of the show and uh, the end of this first episode for the month of January. We would love it if you would get involved. If you've got stories to share if you've got a recommendation for a guest we are all ears i would love to hear from you you can find me on twitter at james polter or i'm sure that you can ping the guys in the studio as well uh, sam where can people find you if they want to send you a, an idea or a story oh an idea or a story i take either of those quite happily i'm, I'm on twitter uh, despite what i just said about you know the downsides of it i'm on twitter <laughs> at sam hales and um if you want work related stuff uh, you know to do with what we're doing at the magazine premierchristianity.com is the place to go lots of links and uh ways of connecting with us at premierchristianity.com and Ruth what about if they want to get in touch with you and talk about well youth or explain technology to you or become my best friend let's not forget that <laughs> yeah um, so it's best Ruth friend J. at Jackson is, <laughs> I'm on all social media as that at Ruth J. Jackson or uh, gosh what is our website youthandchildrens.work is the website if um, if you want to do anything to do with raising up the next generation fabulous well if you want to do any of that then that's where to find us uh, you will have some recommendations for some of the things that we've mentioned in the show in the show notes if you are following the show in uh, apple podcasts or over on acast we would love it if you would give us a five star rating and leave a review it really helps with other people finding the show and you can also tweet the show out to other people that really helps get the show to new people as we continue to try and grow this little thing that we call christians in media connecting christians across the country who are working in and with the media so that that is what we'd love it if you would do you can do that as a favor for us can we do a recommendation of course you can do a recommendation 
recommendation, Ruth. Okay, I'm only saying it because um, I loved reading this over Christmas, Stormzy's new book. I say new book like he's written a book before. And actually, it's a book written by his sort of whole production team, which I think is what is so interesting about it. And I'm well aware that I read it as from a position of sort of white privilege, but it just is absolutely amazing. And I would really recommend everyone reading it, not just if you like Stormzy or are interested in his sort of music. It's such an interesting look at what life is like for a young black person um, growing up on an estate where actually a lot of the expectations on you and um, and growing up in quite a broken home and all of that it's just it's really really challenging and it's really inspiring and just the way they had to be sort of creative in different ways and push boundaries in different ways and push different doors to what people who are from a sort of white privileged background would have to it just is an amazing book so that's Rise Up, the murky story so far by Stormzy. That's Ruth's recommendation. Go check that out. Uh, while Sam's thinking about his recommendation for the month, which he's so well prepared for, I'll give you mine. Uh, I'm reading a new book at the moment, or listening to a new book, actually, which is a, a really great um, a read called Atomic Habits. Some of you might have seen the press uh, kind of kicking off a little bit around this, kind of building on some of the work that was done by Charles Duhigg a couple of years ago um, around uh, habits forming. Um, and obviously, if you're in January, trying to get habits to stick is always a good idea. Uh, Atomic Habits is an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones by James Clear. That's my recommendation for this month. Really interesting about things like habit stacking. Uh, so trying to kind of chain your habits together to something you're already doing. He talks about the habit cycle uh, around the idea of what triggers us to kind of uh, create better habits. And I think that's something that we can all probably benefit from at this time of the year. So my recommendation, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Sam, what do you have to round out this month's show? I, uh, I have a very obviously serious, as usual, recommendation recommendation um and you're gonna laugh at me but i don't care taylor swift (laughs) (laughs) there you go Um, she's your best friend i do love taylor swift and um she has a new concert out which you can watch on netflix you might be thinking what podcast am i listening to and why is sam recommending this well there is a serious media reason and that is that the way this concert has been shot from a technical standpoint is incredible i mean it's netflix isn't it so they're going to throw a huge amount of money at it all the rest of it um but it's basically this absolutely huge stadium in texas where she's performing all of her latest um songs and just the production you know the the dancers the camera angles just everything has been so well thought through that even if you're not a Taylor Swift fan and you should be um you would you would may well enjoy it from a kind of technical camera angle production standpoint all of that stuff is just absolutely <laughs> okay so if you want a hundred different camera angles of Taylor Swift uh, broadcast in HD into your living room on Netflix go check that out at like Sam's recommendation when from the divine like to the sublime and to the slightly curious um, that's what you'll always get from us here on Signal so with that we will round out this month's episode for January thank you so much to my friends Sam and to Ruth Jackson there for uh, sharing their recommendations with us and like I say if you want to get in touch with the show you can always do that over on Twitter, CI underscore media UK on Twitter, or you can email the show signal at christiansinmedia.co.uk. If we don't see you before it, we'll meet you up in Bradford uh, for the Christians in Media event on the February 28th. But for now, this has been Signal from Christians in the Media. We'll see you next month. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.